Welcome to the 73rd episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a recap of Patrick's weekend predictions, and we will talk about week one of the college football season. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we will start in Major League Baseball. First time in a while that we've had predictions that are anything but Major League Baseball. Uh, first in Major League Baseball, the Braves took two of three from the Giants. Patrick incorrectly picked the Giants to win that series. The Blue Jays took through two of three from the Tigers, with Patrick correctly picking the Blue Jays. The Red Sox took two of three from the Indians. Patrick correctly pr- picked the Red Sox in that series. And the Marlins took two of three from the Reds, with Patrick incorrectly picking the Reds, meaning Patrick went two and two in his Major League Baseball predictions. Turning to NCAA football in what was called Week Zero action, a very limited slate of games, Nebraska lost to Illinois 30-22, Patrick incorrectly picking Nebraska to win that game. Fresno State beat UConn 45-0, Patrick correctly picked Fresno State. UCLA beat Hawaii 44-10, most of it in the first half of the game, Patrick correctly picking UCLA. UTEP beat New Mexico State 30-3, with Patrick correctly picking UTEP. Therefore, Patrick went 3-1 in his NCAA football predictions, meaning Patrick was 5-3 overall this past weekend in his predictions which brings his total to 163 and 122 overall, a 57.2% winning percentage this season. Patrick, your thoughts on your predictions? Uh, Yeah, pretty good week of predictions, uh, and it's always helpful to have an extra sport just in case. I can go even in the MLB, as as I've been doing, and actually on the season, a 39-39 and overall record, so uh, that might keep up, to be quite honest. But uh, when you add the extra sport in, you can at least get feel a little bit happier because I go five and three overall, right? I have a winning record instead of just being five hundred. Uh, that I could also go south though, and it might happen this this upcoming weekend with the games that there are and the fact that there haven't been any games this season, so we don't really know how good teams are. Uh, but going back to the MLB. The Braves, I thought that was the one series that I pinpointed as the one where I was like, look, I don't know what's going to happen. The Braves were hot, but then they lost two to the Yankees, got swept in a mini-series, so not really much of a sweep, but at the same time, yeah, they did lose both games of the series. Uh, And then they were coming in and playing the Giants, who have been playing well, I mean, all year, really. Uh, So I didn't really know what was going to happen there. I thought it was possible the Braves could bounce back. I thought it was also possible that that losing streak could continue. Uh, So I I just decided, you know what, go with the team who's been good all year, not the team who's been uh, on a little hot streak, Uh, and it backfired. Uh, However, that opportunity gave the Dodgers a chance, we'll talk about this more probably next weekend, depending on how this turns out, to make up games in the division, but they lost the series to the Rockies, and the reason why I bring that one up is because that was actually a series I was going to pick if I didn't pick the Reds against the Marlins, Uh, But regardless, it looks like I would have gotten it wrong because the Reds ended up somehow dropping a series to the Marlins. Uh, Pretty bad for their wildcard hopes, but didn't end up affecting them too much because the Padres lost one out of two at the Angels, only lost a half a game of progress in the wildcard, so not too bad for the Reds. Uh, And in the long long run, that was an easy series, though, and they probably should have won it because now they have the Cardinals who are trying to catch them in the wildcard a team that definitely wants to catch up to them. So, you know, you don't want to play the teams with extra motivation coming off a loss against the teams that have none. Uh, but that's exactly what they did. was not expecting to lose that one, but I did. So that's pretty much the reason why I went 2-2. Two and two. I thought it was going to be an easy 3-1 and one because, I mean, look at these series. These series suck, to be quite honest. The Giants and the Braves was really the only high-profile one. 
The Blue Jays took two of three from, believe it or not, the team with the third highest win percentage in the second half uh, in the AL, the, the Detroit Tigers. Fun fact, only behind the Yankees and the Rays in winning percentage since That's the All-Star breaks. And by the way, do you know the team who's behind the Tigers? The Kansas City Royals. Hmm. Uh, so, very interesting. Uh, it, I don't know how, but uh, I can't really explain it. Don't ask me to explain it. I can't. But that is the way that it has turned out. And uh, look, the Tigers, I mean, we've said it. They, that's good for them for the future. But the Blue Jays need to win now. Uh, and they t- and I think they took the Tigers seriously enough this weekend. Jose Perillos pitched a very nice game in the closer of the series. I think he had 11 strikeouts in seven innings. Uh, and they ended up winning. The Blue Jays ended up winning two out of three in the series. A very close series. A very good season series, including it actually featured Miguel Cabrera's 500th home run last weekend, and then also this weekend, the the unveiling of his uh, of the Miggy Milestones counter going to 500. So, a lot of history there in that Tigers Blue Jays series that really didn't th- seem to be much before the season. Uh, then the Red Sox took the first two from the Indians. They had a three-hour rain delay before the last game of the series, and the Red Sox had, I believe, a 5-2 to two lead or a 5-3 to three lead, ended up blowing that lead, uh, and the Indians ended up winning Game 3, but that doesn't matter because the Red Sox won the series after a very exciting uh, three-run home run in the top of the 10th in an extra innings game in Game 2. Uh, but... Yeah, and the MLB, not, not well, I am surprised that I didn't go 3-1 and one with how bad the series were this weekend, because I've done better with way harder series to pick, but that's the way it is. Um, in football, let's talk about Nebraska. Uh, Scott Frost is now on the hottest seat college football has had in a while, I think. Uh, maybe, I mean, for in terms of a high-profile program, Reminds me a lot of Les Miles at LSU in his final year where you thought that the next loss could be the end for him and they could just pull him immediately, take him out forever, um, and they could fire him. And it could be in the middle of the season. It could be at the end of the season. Nobody knew. Ended up being in the middle of the season. And then Ed Ogeron took over and the rest is history. Now they won a national championship. So it did break out for them. But Nebraska, I think, should have done this a long time ago. Uh, and they, they didn't. Uh, but... Now they're stuck with Scott Frost, and they lost this game off of just plain sloppy play. Uh, They fielded two punts within the five-yard line, which you're never supposed to do. Everybody knows this. Uh, Every punt returner will tell you when you hear it every single time somebody makes a mistake, which is why it's surprising as someone who's never played tackle football before. Just listen to Desmond Howard. Just just listen to any punt returner who's ever talked. You plant your heels. You plant your feet. No, on the 10-yard line. Clearly, you haven't been listening. On the 10-yard line, and if the ball goes over your head, you let it go. It's that simple. You do not run backwards to the one-yard line, catch the ball, then run backwards into the end zone, and then throw the ball out of the end zone, getting a legal forward pass in the end zone. After you took a knee in the end After zone. After you took a knee in the end zone, exactly. Uh, yeah, Nebraska just, just way, way, way too many mistakes. Uh, Illinois should not have had a 2 nothing lead after the first quarter. Uh, and by the way, Nebraska... And, and, or, and Nebraska just for that whole game. I mean, they were also up nine to two, but they miss an extra point when when they score their first touchdown. They make the field goal. I'm pretty sure they missed another field goal. Illinois missed a field goal too. Uh, but then Illinois got two touchdowns right before the half was over, off of a scoop and score on an ill-advised scramble where uh, Adrian Martinez probably just shouldn't should have taken the sack and just gone down with it. And the game was tied nine to nine at the time. He doesn't take the sack. Gets strip sacked. Touchdown scored, 41-yard scoop and score, 16-9 Illinois at the half. 
Then Illinois takes a ten, basically an eight-minute drive, the the picture-perfect Brett Bielema drive <laughs> to start off his Illinois tenure. Uh, gets a touchdown, goes up twenty-three to nine, and pretty much the rest of it was irrelevant. I think the game was over at that point. But by the way, Illinois did this with their backup quarterback too. So Nebraska was a seven-point favorite. They kn- their coach knows he needs to win. Their team knows they need to win. Uh, Seven-point favorite on the road, you knock the other team's quarterback out, and you let the backup, who has a career touchdown-to-interception ratio of 8-20, to 20, even though he did throw none last year, you let him go 12-15, for 15, 124 yards, two touchdowns. Running back runs on you for 75 yards and a touchdown. You're yeah. not going to win a game. I mean, I don't normally comment on uh, your predictions, but um, this game, like you said, vintage, everything that Nebraska fans... Are banging their head against the yeah. wall about the Scott Frost era was apparent in this game, and everything that Illinois fans were hoping Brett Bielema would bring from his Wisconsin days. This team is by no means as talented as a Wisconsin team, but it reminded me—I don't want to jump to conclusions. It reminded me of an old Wisconsin team. Just don't make mistakes. Keep the ball. Possess the ball. Wait, wait, wait right. for the other team to mess up. Capitalize on it and beat a team that you're not as good as. I'll uh, move on. And and also the other thing is, I mean, Nebraska. This probably this goes into my season predictions too. I think I have Illinois winning one conference game, uh, and I was already zero and one to start the year, which was kind of sad. But I, I ended up going four and one overall, so I'll take it. Uh, but. Illinois looks like they actually could be a lot better than I thought. I don't think this is the worst team in the Big Ten anymore, which I definitely thought before the season. Uh, maybe outside... No, Rutgers actually is resurgent, though, so I, I, I actually think I do have Illinois as the worst team in the Big Ten. Uh, it's really just their schedule, though, too, but uh, this was one of the teams that I thought was a winnable game for them, and they did win it, so good things for Illinois' rest of the season. Bad things projecting for Nebraska, to be quite honest. Uh, Fresno State, look... I had two games where the where the team was a 30-point favorite to pick from. I picked Fresno State. Uh, yeah, they won. That's that's that one. Uh, UCLA, Zach Charbonnet had three touchdowns on six carries and 100-plus yards in the first quarter, and then the game was over. It was 28 to nothing in the first quarter, and it was done. Uh, Hawaii was just finished. Uh, I don't really know what, what much else there is to say about that game. And then Utah New Mexico State was actually a game that the line for the game was within 10 points. But UTEP killed New Mexico State. They won 30-3. to Again, the line on this game was 10 or 10.5 points, so it was not supposed to be a blowout by, by any means. But uh, credit to UTEP for winning that game, although New Mexico State is not supposed to be one of the better teams. Actually, supposed to be probably a bottom-five team in all of college football, so you don't get that much credit for that. But overall, very satisfied with my NCAA predictions. Definitely going to be more satisfied if I do that in games that matter this weekend. All right, well, we'll get to some of those games next, but first, a reminder that Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted on our website on Thursdays. So with a smattering of games last weekend and a full slate of action this week, the college football season has officially started, so we're going to start with the first of many of our looks on the podcasts at college football over the course of uh, the next several months. So let's start, Patrick. Any takeaways from week zero? I know we talked a little bit in your predictions, we talked a lot about Nebraska-Illinois. Uh, any takeaways from week zero? I have four very quick takeaways. The first one, uh, it's actually a question, not really a takeaway, but this game got me thinking, is UCLA for real this year? Is this finally the year that the Chip Kelly era seems like it's actually an era to remember for UCLA fans, rather than an era where they say, eh, probably shouldn't have fired the coach who slumped for maybe one or two years, and that was it. Uh, and it looks like it's possible, and that leads into my second takeaway, which was that 
experience and oh well second and third experience and o-line experience seems like it will be very important this season nebraska was getting bullied off the ball in the second half because illinois offensive line as as fox put up on their graphic every single starter except for one has 29 or more career starts and they're all at least juniors so they're the super seniors because exactly so they i mean they are they are the definition of experience and when you figure how that team's going to run their offense that's going to be very important for them there are a couple of other units elsewhere in the country that will have the same thing going for them i think lsu secondary comes to mind with that with Derek stingley jr uh one of the guys who still has remaining experience from their national championship team, who was actually a starter on that team. So there's a that could play a big role in all of the country, and we'll see how and we'll see how that plays out. I think it's really important on the O line, though, especially in these first few games, because as you get later in the year, I think everybody gets used to the speed. I think O line people get bullied around less on the defensive end, uh, but at the start of the year, it is really really important. You can just get a running game only by by just having a good O line just blocking for you. So, I, I think there's I think there's cause to say that that's the most important thing. Um, and also, home field advantage is back. Well, sort of. Uh, New Mexico State seems to be the contra the 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 contrarians of that one, uh, as they lost by 27 in the game that they were supposed to be at least within 10 points in uh, at home. So that one doesn't really quite say it. UCLA didn't have too many people in their stadium, School but it did seem there. that's true. But it did seem to really affect Illinois. I think I think Nebraska. It didn't seem like it was getting super loud. It didn't remind you of you know an Iowa, a Penn State, an Alabama. It didn't remind you of any of those kinds of crowds in Ohio State, Michigan. You go on and on and on. It didn't remind you of anything like that. But at the same time, the stadium looked pretty full. Maybe some Nebraska fans, which is probably why it didn't seem so loud, because they weren't actually cheering the whole time. Um, but I think it is starting... I mean, it's great to see fans in the stands, and by the way, it will lead to, in some of those bigger games, home field advantage really feeling like it's back. And I think the first example of that will be this weekend with Clemson, but they're not even at home, but we'll get into that one. Uh, but those are my takeaways from Week 0, to be quite honest. And look, that UCLA one is pretty important because they play a huge game Week 1. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to the, the most significant games uh, in week one. Really, one question for you on, uh, on, is it New Mexico State or New Mexico that plays Hawaii twice? It is New Mexico State, yeah. Hawaii plays so, 13 games on the season. New Mexico State needed to play them twice to get to 12 total, which you have to to have a full schedule. Uh, I don't know why Hawaii is playing 13 times, but... So we might yeah. get a good... When did they play soon, right? They, I think so. So we'll get a good indication. We'll play once early in the season. We might later. get a good indication on how on whether it was a lot of UCLA or a lot of really bad Hawaii right. pretty soon when they play New Mexico State. Although um, New Mexico State is not a great team, so that's I, I don't think it's a good measuring stick for Hawaii. The other thing is I, that I would think is the impact of transfers, which uh, we're going to see. We saw, as you mentioned, in that UCLA game. All right, well, let's, let's do... You, you gave a little hint about... Um, a big game coming up in week one. Let's take a look at some of the most significant games coming up in week one. So we're going to go in chronological order in all the ranked games. Let's look at it. The Citadel plays at number 22, Coastal Carolina. That is very weird. That doesn't really roll off the tongue very well, but whatever. Uh, yeah, good job for Coastal Carolina being ranked preseason. Uh, probably not too interesting of a game. Weber State, Damian Lillard University, plays at at number 24, Utah, on Thursday. Number four, Ohio State, a 14-point favorite, plays at Minnesota on Thursday. Southern Utah plays at number 25, Arizona State on Thursday. Number 10, North Carolina, 
plays at Virginia Tech on Friday. Uh, number two, Oklahoma plays at Tulane on Saturday. All the rest of these games are on Saturday, actually. Uh, then you have number 19, Penn State, against at number 12, Wisconsin. Wisconsin, a five-and-a-half-point favorite. That should be a really good game. Uh, Fresno State at number 11, Oregon. Oregon is a 20-and-a-half-point favorite, so maybe not that interesting. Number one, Alabama on a neutral field, so not necessarily at Miami, although I think that is at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, so probably more Alabama fans. Uh, I mean, they seem to get the home field advantage wherever the playoff is anyway, so I think for their first game, they'll get it too, to be quite honest, no matter who they're playing. But against number 14, Miami, uh, Alabama is an 18.5-point favorite, which seems ridiculous for a number one versus number 14 matchup that they're only within 13 ranks of each other, and it's still that big of a spread, almost the same as Oregon and Fresno State. But at the same time, it's Alabama. And I've said i said to people throughout this week, when I see that game, it reminds me a lot of uh, Alabama against Florida State, which was an opener in 2017. Florida State was ranked number three in the country. They lost their quarterback in that game, DeAndre Francois. But Alabama won 24-7. So I think a lot of people are thinking about that kind of a game, or even their playoff game against Notre Dame last year where they basically shut them out. Uh... That's probably the reason for this point spread. Then you have Miami of Ohio at Cincinnati at number eight, Cincinnati. Number 17, Indiana at number 18, Iowa. Iowa, three and a half point favorite. By the way, the Big Ten really stacking up the big games week one, all in conference too. Uh, Northern Iowa at number seven, Iowa State. Number 23, Louisiana at number 21, Texas. That'll be an interesting game to see what happens in Steve Sarkeesian's first game against really, honestly, a tough team, to be uh, to be fair, and honestly, a very experienced team versus a team with a first-year coach. Uh, then you have San Jose State at number 15, USC. Number 5, Georgia versus... Neutral game, sure, but I mean, is it neutral for Clemson to be in Charlotte? Probably not, uh, but nonetheless, it is a game in, in Charlotte. It's technically a neutral game against number three, Clemson. Clemson favored by three points. Then you have FAU at number 13, Florida. Kent State at number six, Texas A&M. Montana at number 20, Washington. Number 16, LSU at UCLA. Number nine, Notre Dame at Florida State on Sunday. And then some non-rank, and then some games without the ranked teams. That was actually all the ranked teams to play this weekend. But some of the non-ranked uh, games that seem pretty interesting to me. I, th- I like Louisville against Ole Miss. That seems like a pretty interesting game. You can see difference between SEC and ACC in that game, see where they're at heading into the season on Monday. Uh, that's neutral also. Texas Tech is favored by 1.5 against Houston in NRG Stadium in Houston. Then you have West Virginia at Maryland, which seems to be an interesting game. You can find out where the Big 12 is in relation to the Big 10 in that one. Then BYU favored by 12.5 versus Arizona. That one's just kind of interesting to me because BYU could really lose a lot of games this year or could win a lot of games. They play very tough schedules and independent, and I think everybody's now picking on them as a team to kind of challenge their own team out of conference. Uh, and now they just play a pretty ridiculous schedule. It's not. It's no longer just Utah as the only good team. I think they have Boise State on their schedule too and a few other really good teams. I think Arizona State too. So they're playing a lot of teams in the Pac-12. But uh, yeah, those are the ranked games this week and then some other important ones. All right. Well, obviously, there's a lot of big games that you just mentioned in week one. What matchups are you most looking forward to watching? I think the first one, I'm going to pick one from Thursday. The other three aren't very interesting. I think it's interesting to see how Minnesota will respond after a very down year. Well, not down year in the history of their program, but down year from the year before uh, against Ohio State because... 
Ohio State has an inexperienced quarterback. He's going to be making his first career start on the road in an environment that... At night. In, at night on a Thursday to open the season. Uh, and really, an environment that has it's produced some upsets. I mean, there was the upset Minnesota pulled over Penn State a few years ago in that run where uh, they, they ended up, I think, 16th in the country and beat Auburn in the bowl game. That was in 2019, by the way. Same quarterback still at the head of that offense, Tanner Morgan. So, again, that experience that I was talking about, we'll see how much it really matters in week one, although I don't know if Minnesota's going to be winning that game, but uh, we, we could talk about that more later. The next game I'm really interested in seeing is North Carolina at Virginia Tech. I think this is a very good measuring stick game for North Carolina. I think if this, I think if they're able to beat Virginia Tech pretty easily, not even, not even by 17-20, just by even 14 I think that will tell you that they are for real and they're going to be a top 10 team all year. And if they're only scraping by, then I mean, I think this line is set very fairly. It's five and a half. I think that number, if they're above about a touchdown, you can say, okay, this they're where we thought they were. Uh, if it's more than that, you could say, this is a really good team. And if they barely win or if they lose, you probably say, this is probably not a top 10 team, maybe still top 15, but maybe not. And maybe it says that Virginia Tech should be, and by the way, I will predict that if Virginia Tech pulls off this upset... They will be the first team to move into the rankings from being unranked easily uh, next weekend, but I don't know if that will actually, I don't know if the upset will happen. Then you have Oklahoma at two, sorry, I skipped, I skipped the line. Uh, Penn State at Wisconsin. I mean, we, I'd said it, I said it when we were talking about the other games. The Big Ten is stacking up some games in this, in this week one. Uh, it's a very, very interesting game. You have Penn State who had a very, very bad year last year. Uh, I think there's no other way to put it. They really did not play well all of last year. They ended up winning, I think, three or four games in the row to end their season. Uh, but at the same time, they still ended, I think, four and four, something like that. So n- not very good for by Penn State stand- standards. Actually, very bad by their standards at this point. And I think that's a very interesting game against Wisconsin, who actually had a year where people thought for once that they weren't maybe going to win. Uh, the, 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 what is it? The Big Ten East, right? The West. The West. Yeah, they're in the West. Uh, a year where people thought they might not be winning the West, and actually they were true. They were right. Northwestern did win the West. Uh, but it, Wisconsin did not have an off year, but they were not as good as they have been in the past. And I think it's very interesting to see how those two teams will play because they both have some experience, uh, Penn State more than Wisconsin. But as has been the conversation a lot, how important is experience when your experience wasn't very productive? Uh, so Penn State's experience, no matter who they return from last year, does it really matter that much? Probably, it's not amazing. Um, but Wisconsin's experience, pretty important. A program that always seems to end up in the top 15 somehow, some way by the end of the season. So that should be a very interesting game week one. Although I'm definitely expecting that Wisconsin uh, wins this game just because it's very hard to win at Wisconsin. And by the way, it is a 9 a.m. game, so... Which, for some reason, it always seems harder to play at Wisconsin in the morning than at night, but well, I don't it's, really know It's why. 9 a.m. West Coast, but that's 11 right. a.m. Wisconsin time. Which is pretty early, but at yeah. the same time, maybe maybe the players have trouble getting up for it because it's early. Um, but, yeah, Wisconsin seems to win a lot at home, as a lot of Big Ten teams do, to be quite honest. There's a lot of good home field advantages in the Big Ten. Uh, and speaking of good home field advantages in the Big Ten... Indiana at Iowa is a very, very important game to set, to set up the rest of the season. Uh, I think Iowa winning this game could set them up very, very well to win the West of the Big Ten. I really think that if they can win this game, they have a really, really good chance, especially if Wisconsin loses to Penn State. 
I don't want to say that it's that 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 race is being decided in week one, but it could take a major turn if those teams start if one of those teams starts one and zero and the other starts zero and one, or if one of them starts uh, or if they both start one and zero. It could mean a lot. I mean, it really depends on how it turns out, but I could see that going a long way in the race just because Iowa would have a one-game blanket over Wisconsin that they'd be protecting for the rest of the season, and really Wisconsin would probably feel a lot of pressure for the rest of the season because of that, so you never know how teams respond to that. That could be a very interesting game for that reason, and also for the reason that Indiana had a season pretty much like no other in their program's history, uh, dating back to a while ago. To when Lee Corso uh, was I was about to say, to when Not Lee Corso was the head coach. Here, there, but. but yeah, I mean, Indiana, a program that has not been good very recently at all, but last year had a very, very good year and really showed that they could... That hey maybe they could be not necessarily a power but they could be they could hang in there in the Big Ten uh, they could hang in there with a Penn State maybe with a Michigan depending on the year uh, they can be up there with an Iowa and by the way here's your first test go play Iowa and go beat them you're ranked 17th they're ranked 18th you're technically the better team although Iowa pulls off upset after upset after upset at home even when they're even when they're an unranked team playing number 5 in the country no matter who it who it is very hard to play on the road and by the way this time they're not actually that much worse than the team they're playing they're pretty much even with them actually the rankings say they're one behind them so of course i was going to be the favorite in this game and i have them winning this game for sure but uh we'll see we'll see what uh we'll see what does happen i also think louisiana at texas is an important game because it is steve sarkeesian's first game of his tenure and we have to see how good Texas might be. Uh, Texas said they were back, then they completely were not, and they haven't been for a while. It feels like every season they go 7-5 and five after being ranked in the top 10. I feel like 21 is a fair ranking for them this season based on the rest of the teams, although there may be a few teams I might put over them. Uh, but at the same time, this will be a very important game for Texas, a first-year head coach going against a team who, as I talked about, when, when we were having our debates about our top 25s, Louisiana has one of the, has the most, some of the most, I think they're at least top three. Actually, they're top three in offense and defense, number one overall in returning production. That's a very big contrast. You have first-year head coach, first-year quarterback, just won the battle actually earlier this week, uh, Hudson Card, against <laughs> against the most experienced team in the country, or the most returning team in the country, I guess you could say. It will be a tough matchup for Texas, and I think a lot of people wouldn't have thought that before the season two weeks ago, but as soon as you see this line and you see eight points, you say, wait a second, is this game really supposed to be close? And the truth is, it is, and it will be. Uh, It will be a very, very interesting game to watch, and uh, we'll see what happens in that game. Another game that I'm interested in, I mean, do I really have to say it? Georgia at Clemson, come on. (laughs) I've been talking about this game to you, to other people for like a month and a half now. I saw it on the schedule when I was starting to do my my college football season-long predictions, which you should go check out on our website, by the way. Uh, And I was like, oh my God, they're playing week one? Georgia and Clemson? First of all, SEC teams don't play good teams out of conference. They maybe reach at one every single year. Normally, it's not too good. And no offense to UCLA, but normally it seems to be a team kind of like UCLA, like LSU was doing, rather than a team like Alabama playing Miami or playing Clemson. (laughs) Uh, I think this is the hardest game you'll ever see an SEC team play out of conference uh, at the beginning of the season. And I think if Georgia wins it, 
it sets a them good up. good SEC team. Yes. Uh, yeah. So somebody else might be a tune-up for somebody else. Right. But I think that I think that if Georgia is able to win this game, I think they'll return to their playoff form that they had before Tua crushed their hopes forever and they haven't made it back since. Uh, I really think that this game will tell you if Georgia is in the playoff or not. I think it's that simple. I think if they're able to win this game week one, not technically on the road, but really is on the road. They're traveling. They're traveling a lot farther than Clemson is. It's in Charlotte. Uh, Clemson fans go there all the time for the ACC championship game because they've been there the last four years, maybe even five or six. Um, And I think that it's a familiar building for them. They know how it is. It's close. They probably only have to take a bus ride the morning of. There's no sleeping in hotels for them. So I think that it basically does play like a home game for Clemson. And because of that, Georgia winning this game would be a huge tone setter for the rest of the season. And I also think... Not to throw any shade, but this is probably the worst Florida team they've had to play against in two or three years. I mean, Florida last year obviously almost made the playoff, was a very good team. I think ended sixth before they lost Oklahoma in that bowl game. They played Alabama tough, who ended up winning the national championship, as we all know. They actually played them tougher than Ohio State did in the championship game. So this is one of the worst, not one of the worst Florida teams, but definitely a step down from years past. And I think that'll be important for them to try to cash in on that opportunity. Uh, because if they are able to win this game, I think the rest of their schedule does play in their favor as well, about as well as an SEC schedule can, especially because they are in the weaker division of the SEC because they don't have to play Alabama, they don't have to play Texas A&M, they don't have to play LSU, they don't have to play Auburn, uh, and their schedule's really favorable. They don't have to play Alabama this season at all, not only just because they're not in the same division. That will be the best game of the weekend. And honestly, I hope it's one of the best games of the season because that would be great for college football if two of the better, if two of the best teams, two top five teams, played one of the best games of the season in week one. It would be a huge tone setter for the rest of the season all across the country. LSU at UCLA is the next one I'm looking at. Uh, UCLA played a very good game uh, in week zero, week one, whatever you want to say. But I guess if they're playing this week one, then technically this, the last week has to be week zero. <laughs> Um, but LSU has a very interesting situation. They had a quarterback go down. They were in they were in the middle of a quarterback competition. Then their quarterback got injured, Miles Brennan, who was actually the starter at the beginning of last year. So the competition ended on the spot, knowing that Miles Brennan would not be starting week one, and we'll see what has to happen for LSU. I hope, I mean, it's possible that they end up in a, same, in a similar situation to what happened to Georgia last year, where they're really just waiting on their guy to get back. And they're just kind of flo- maintaining maintaining their place, kind of staying afloat until he gets back. Um, but if this game is going to be a good game, LSU will be relying on some great quarterback play, and I think just great play overall by their team. And maybe maybe UCLA can pull an upset. Um, but I think other than that LSU game, there's two games that I'm really interested in. One that's kind of sneaky: Notre Dame at Florida State. A there's football on a Sunday which hasn't happened in a very long time, as we know, since Super Bowl Sunday, actually. Um, so I'm happy to see football on a Sunday, uh, even if it's not pro. Notre Dame at Florida State is a very intriguing matchup because you have Florida State, who hasn't been that great recently. Uh, then you have Notre Dame, who made a playoff appearance, but all of a sudden is ranked number nine before the season. Before the, season, the next season starts. They lose their quarterback. They lose pretty much all their weapons except for a tight end uh, and most of their offensive line, too, and a lot of their defensive players. So it's very interesting to see how Notre Dame will start the post-Ian uh, Book era, I guess you can call it. Uh, and it's also interesting to see every single year Florida State really comes out a different team. Some years they're not supposed to be good and they end up just being average, which I guess is above expectations. 
Some years they are supposed to be very good and they miss a bowl game even though they're ranked number three preseason. Some years they're ranked just about right. And I think this year having some hype, but nobody really thinking they're going to do much is about where I expect them. But they have an opportunity to make a splash week one. If they're able to win this game, I think their expectations for the rest of the season really turn around. But at the same time, it could put a target on their back. So that could play negatively (laughs) against them. Uh, But the next game I'm interested in is Louisville on a neutral field against Ole Miss. Just because, look, Ole Miss has a very high-powered offense. And I am just saying to Louisville, man, good luck stopping it. I mean, there is not much that can stop Ole Miss. This team will score 60 and also give up 70. Uh, but they make a really interesting brand of college football to watch. Reminds you a lot of Big 12 play in the last few seasons. And uh, also, football on a Monday. Who doesn't like football on a Monday? Monday night football. Not really. Um, but yeah, I think those are the most important games of the weekend. And then also a very sneaky game. If you want to know where the middle of each conference is going to turn out, West Virginia at Maryland will tell you where that happens. Because I think if Maryland is a, if Maryland loses this game, they're going to get run over by every single team in their division, including Rutgers. Well, uh, if West Virginia wins this game, you could see them actually challenging a team like Oklahoma at home. Maybe not winning, probably not winning. You could see them beating Texas. I think I actually have that in my overall season predictions. You could see them beating Iowa State. So uh, maybe West Virginia pokes their head. I mean, look. If Texas wins, if Texas loses and West Virginia wins week one, I think West Virginia becomes the third best team in the Big 12 by default. Yeah, the other interesting thing about a game like that, which I'm glad you pointed that out, is that um, these early games, inter-conference games, have some bearing on perception of the relative strengths of conferences, which goes into the playoff committee. This is a big game, not only for these teams as a measuring stick of where they are, but for their respective conferences in terms of getting a playoff berth. And, I mean, if you look at the landscape of this year, just going off of hypotheticals, let's just say that Clemson runs the table after beating Georgia. Uh, Clemson will probably be the number two seed like they always are. Let's say Alabama goes undefeated. They're the one seed. If you're looking at Ohio State and Oklahoma, a win over Maryland looks a lot better if Maryland beat West Virginia. And if you're talking about both those teams as undefeated and you're comparing schedules, any win, any little tiny advantage that you can get is important if the Big 12 looks weak. That's a bad thing for Oklahoma. And by the way, no one wants to play Alabama, so you do not want to fall to that fourth seed in the yeah. playoff. Uh, and by the way, any one seed in any year, nobody ever wants to play against them. So yeah, it is very important, as you said. All right, well, you've talked about the games you're looking forward to, and you may have given us a little hint about this next question, but any teams you think that are on upset alert? I think the biggest possible upset of the weekend is Minnesota beating Ohio State. Wow. I don't see it happening. But I am. I would put Ohio State on upset watch. I think they're on upset alert, but I think the problem with it is they are very well aware of that, and they've been aware of that for about two months now. And the talent gap between them and Minnesota is so huge that if they have any inkling that they might be in for an upset, they're going to beat Minnesota. So that's the, that's the problem that I have with that game. It has the potential to be a major, major, major upset just because of the lack of experience. But at the same time, we saw a Michigan team go in there last year, get one of its two wins on the season, beat that team by 25 in the first game of the year. Obviously, no fans, but it could really go either way. And by the way, I'm not saying Ohio State will lose that game, but uh, honestly, this might be one of their hardest games of the year just because it's at the beginning of the season and they have no rhythm. And, and you talk about a recipe for an upset, so you've talked a little bit about it. Game on the road, highly favored team, hostile environment, nighttime, and inexperienced the, quarterback. Inexperienced quarterback in a hostile environment. Against a very experienced quarterback. Against an experienced quarterback 
with a very good running back so that they because Minnesota cannot win a shootout with Ohio no, State. They can't. But they have they can enough, slow the game down. They can yeah. slow the game down. Now we'll see about Minnesota's defense. They lost a lot of talent and their wideouts. They lost a lot of talent there. But I agree with you. I actually like that as a sleeper upset pick. Any others? Well, maybe the, maybe both of these picks are wishful thinking, but I also have North Carolina on upset alert. Yep. Also because I think in week one, I feel like every single team is on upset alert just because we don't actually know how good they are. Uh, preseason rankings mean absolutely nothing when you actually think about it. Uh, they, I, I mean, obviously there is some perception. There are things to judge. We've had however many seasons of college football to know that there is a formula of being a good team and returning a good team and returning production. We all know what factors into it, mainly quarterback play. Uh, but at the same time, it's not a set formula. And preseason rankings most of the time aren't accurate. I think the stat is that every single year in the last nine or ten years, a team that was ranked in the top ten was eventually unranked by the end of the season every single year, which is hard to believe. Um, but at the same time, if that's going to happen... Sometimes it happens really early on in the season that the team starts to snowball out of control in a bad way, and that could be Virginia Tech beating North Carolina and sending North Carolina on the wrong path. And all of a sudden, maybe a tough game against Miami later in the season that if they had some more confidence, they win, maybe they lose it. So I think this is a very important game for North Carolina to set the tone of their season, but I definitely have Virginia Tech uh, upsetting, at least having a chance to upset North Carolina I actually think that Wisconsin could get upset by Penn State, and it doesn't, and it does seem like an upset, and it would be a huge one. But I think, I think that Penn State could really be. I mean, the reason why they're ranked 19th is not because of what they've done in the past; it's because of what they did last season, and that's the thing that makes me that makes me iffy about these kinds of teams. There's nothing to go off of to rank Penn State, to rank Michigan. They had a bad year last year, sure. A weird year. Yeah, uh, they had a bad year and a very weird year. So how do you rank that according to other teams? By the way, Penn State was not much better than Michigan, barely beat Michigan. Here they are ranked 19th, Michigan's unranked, right? So I think you can go off of that and say there's really no basis to say how good Penn State is. And by the way, that could also go the opposite way where you can say it really was a weird year last year and some of the teams that were bad that were decent, that were good, like Iowa State and Indiana, maybe they're not as good. Uh, And I think that Penn State could go the opposite way, where maybe they're not as bad as we thought they were last year, and they just had trouble because they didn't have some gimme games at the beginning of the season. So I do think Wisconsin could lose that game. It's a very slim chance because they're at home, but they're definitely the team that could lose at home this weekend. Uh, I also have Texas on upset alert, but I talked a a lot about it earlier, so I'm not going to give my reasoning for that. I already said it. It's the experience factor. LSU is definitely on upset alert against UCLA. I think this one is is very, very easy to tell. Again, you had a quarterback competition end early, so now you have a quarterback who might be a little bit cocky, thinking, eh, I would have won it anyway, whatever he whatever he wants to think. I don't really know. I mean, I can't, I can't speak on the mentality of people I've never talked to or even heard a pre- press conference from, but it is very possible that uh, LSU comes in this game a little bit cocky, says, oh, look, we're number 16. Everybody knows that we were bad last year, but that we were being, but that, our end-of-the-season performance, our win over Florida in the infamous shoe game, was being slept on, and we really are this good. And at the same time, then you have a UCLA team who already has a game under their belt. There are no first-game jitters for UCLA. Very smart scheduling, UCLA Athletic Department. You deserve a lot of credit for that. LSU is on high upset alert for this game. Uh, And by the way, UCLA looked a lot better than I thought they would at the beginning of the season. I might have to go against my before-the-season predictions and pick UCLA. Uh, but we'll see what happens in that game. So I agree with you 100%. 
Another factor is the hurricane. Yep. Who knows how that impacted the mental well-being, the preparations, et cetera, of the LSU team, Baton Rouge, right in the in the path of it, just north of, of New Orleans. Um, and then you, the thing you mentioned, teams, they always say the biggest improvement in a team is between game one and game two. And UCLA already looked pretty darn good in game one. And they're going to get if they improve, if they have significant improvement from game one of this game, they're they're going to beat LSU. I won't say that they beat them easily, but they will definitely beat them. Any others? No. Can I throw two at you? Sure. Why Clemson get, losing to Georgia? That's not an upset. Okay, so that you got number five and number three in the country. Well, Clemson's a three point favorite. There's also a reason why I didn't put Indiana and Iowa there either. Same. To the, the, it's not really an upset if that. It's not an upset if you're ranked okay. within within two points of each other. Talking about recipes for upsets, then what about Notre Dame at Florida State? Florida State second year coach, second year system, different quarterback with experience. I thought about putting them on upset alert, but uh, I don't. I haven't seen anything good from a Florida State quarterback since Jameis Winston. Uh, so I have nothing to believe that they will have a good quarterback and have good quarterback play for the whole season. So when that's what I'm going off of, I'd much rather have the team that even losing Ian Book, they they changed their offensive scheme last year and even in an odd year implemented it, brought them to the playoff, right? I think Notre Dame made a lot of positive changes last year and I think it can only go, maybe it can't only go up from here because they already got their playoff experience, uh, but I think it can go up from here for them. I think they do have room to grow. Maybe Ian Book, I mean, but look, Jack Cohn knows how to run an offense, and he knows how to take care of the ball, and I think in week one, one of the things that you'll always see is a team you don't expect to lose will lose because they turn the ball over six or seven times, and maybe they don't even do it for the rest of the season after that, but they just do it in week one, and then you're like, oh my God, this team is this team's playing sloppy, whatever. I think that Notre Dame doesn't have a good chance of doing that, just because they have Jack Cohn, a quarterback who is very, very experienced and also experienced in big games. Okay. All right. Well, uh, we've got walk through the upsets. Can you give us any hint on what games you might be predicting on Thursday? I think it's a sure thing that Georgia and Clemson will be in there. It's definitely going to be in there, actually. It's probably the most sure game that I'll predict all season. I'm leaning towards predicting Penn State, Wisconsin, Indiana, and Iowa. And then I have a tough choice. Um, I really could go with Louisiana and Texas. I maybe might go with LSU at UCLA. Maybe might go with you with North Carolina against Virginia Tech or Ohio State at Minnesota. And really, I will just tell you which game I pick from them will be whichever one I think is the most likely upset. Uh, I don't want to keep it stale and just pick the higher ranked team every single week. I'm willing to take the risk. I don't really care about the record. I got a three and one head start this week. So no matter what I pick, if I'm picking Texas and Louisiana, I'm picking Louisiana. If I'm picking Indiana and Iowa, okay, maybe that one I won't pick an upset in. Um, but I'll be picking an upset for one of those three games probably uh, between LSU, UCLA, Texas, Louisiana, and North Carolina, Virginia Tech. And that will be the fourth game of my predictions beside the two Big Ten games and Georgia and Clemson. Definitely picking those three games. All right, very, well, very important I know games. you and I are excited for the start of college football season, and that excitement will resonate through future podcasts. But that wraps up this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, September 3rd, where we will have our weekly analysis of Major League Baseball action and talk about other important news from the world of sports. But in the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, which you just got a little hint of, his predictions for the entire college football season, 
and his MLB power rankings, which will be posted on Saturdays. And maybe, and maybe I'm thinking, I'm thinking that it might be possible. I might start doing my own AP style ranking uh, at the at the well, I guess at the conclusion of every week for college football. Might continue with basketball too, but we'll see. We'll have to see what happens there. But that might be a thing that's coming in the future. That's great. I I would love that. And maybe you and I will do a, a little debate there on those on future podcasts. But all of that will be on our website, fourthand24.com. That's the number four, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.